being unsafe as a girl, um, I really changed the way I dressed. I changed, I had disturbed sleep. Long story short, that rocked my foundation as a secure little girl. And uh, later when a girl made a pass at me, I realized instead of feeling uh, terrified that this felt like I was in control. And so that, that essentially laid the seeds of lesbianism in my into my future. The reality that I needed to be reconciled to my own gender in a way that I felt safe with them, in a way where this this group of Christian men, like I'd had some good mentors prior to that, but th these individual connections, and, it, and I think it kind of paved the way for me to actually be able to be in a group of men who didn't deal with the same thing, struggle with the same things I did, same-sex attraction, that kind of thing, but to be able to receive from them. I was asking all these questions. And I was beginning to hunt for truth now. In the middle of my emotions leading me this way, culture leading me the same direction, and friends totally fine with me going towards homosexuality, and me now being okay with it. And yet I was asking questions about what is truth? Who is God? Who does Jesus say he is? Do you identify yourself as a gay person or a person who deals with same-sex attraction or homosexual desire. That is an essential difference that will either lock you into the persona. Yes, by embracing an identity. Cementing, yep. by embracing yep. that as who you are. Yes, as or, opposed to something I struggle with. Yes, yep. as opposed to something that's part of your life that you're, it's not your totality, it's not your most important feature, it's not the thing that you identify by, but that you have in your life. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Love and Truth Network podcast. Whether you're joining us as somebody who's been following us through Love and Truth Network, or if you're joining through Transforming Congregations, we want to say welcome. And I'm excited as every episode I am for you to meet uh, some of my wonderful friends and some of the, uh, the movers and shakers in the movement uh, for really revealing what the scriptures teach about human sexuality, about uh, gender uh, identity issues, and really speaking from a biblical perspective, both in terms of the truth of scripture, but also the genuine love and the the value that the scriptures have for us as men and women made in the image of God, as, as young people, uh, girls and boys made in the image of God. And so I'm especially excited for the conversation you're going to be joining us for today with my dear friend, Anne Edward. This is, you might remember her by the name Anne Polk. Uh, her name, though, has been uh, changed back to Anne Edwards. She runs Restored Hope Network and has been the executive director of that organization from its founding. And she's here with us today. We are again at the American Association of Christian Counselors Conference. So I've been excited to be able to grab some friends here and have them sit down for us for various episodes uh, throughout the several days that we're here. So again, glad that you can join us. And thanks so much for being here with us. What a delight to be here with you, Gary. It's really fun. It is fun. I have run loved running into you and uh, we've spent so much time on the board too. And that was really yes. fun when you're on the board sometime. Yes. I yeah. hope you serve again. I know. I hope so too. I, yeah. I would like to do that again. And we've had a lot of fun. Uh, I think especially in serving on the board, the the annual retreats that yes. we've done with the board and just taking several days away. There's been so much, I think, deep and, and productive ministry work that's come out of those times, but it has also been a rip-roaring Fun, fun time to be with brothers and sisters in Christ around some of these issues and and just enjoying um, Christ in each one of us, really. That's right. Yeah. Right. And humor. You know, I think God's the God of humor yep. as well. Absolutely. He loves funny little things. He made ostriches, for example. So, you <laughs> right. know, come on. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Well, so. and where we usually start off with our podcast is we just ask people uh, to just share like their God story, the the kind of where they were before meeting Jesus, what they've been wrestling with, what they have wrestled with and and how Jesus has met with them. Yeah. So you bet. whether that's 10, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 15, whatever, uh, just share a little bit of your story with those that are watching or listening to us today. Sure. Um, I was the youngest of four, and I was, uh, at three years old, violated by a teenage boy in my neighborhood. Um, this boy had exposed himself to others, other girls in the neighborhood, so it wasn't unheard of, but um, unfortunately, I was 
vulnerable and the person took advantage of that. Um, and so what happened overnight in my little soul as a little girl was I was told if, if I told parents that I would get in trouble, right. And that, um, I just felt shame. I felt like I hadn't felt a sense of, whoa, something really wrong happened here. And there's something really wrong about what I did. And I don't know what it is. And I, I just turned into a tomboy overnight. Being a girl felt unsafe and all this stuff all happened. And um, nobody told me to feel those feelings. They just happened. Um, and it wasn't until later in my 20s when I was sharing with my mom what had happened that she shared with me more about what that person had been involved with and, and um, what had been done. Like I had even been taken to, um, uh, had, a, had a judge uh, had, had worked with him as well. So anyhow, this really happened. Yes, it did. And overnight being unsafe as a girl, um, I really changed the way I dressed. I changed, I had disturbed sleep. I had, et cetera. Anyway, long story short, that rocked my foundation as a secure little girl. And uh, later when a girl made a pass at me, I realized instead of feeling uh, terrified that this felt like I was in control. And so that, that essentially laid the seeds of lesbianism yeah. in my, into my future. And about how old were you at that point that about that happened? Six, so I was okay. double the age. Yep. Yeah. And, and I, of course, was older and I could control more of the situation. So that, that really laid the the foundation for me later to struggle with that even more so. So I went through high school, tried to fit in, dated guys, but everything wasn't working right. Uh, my emotions didn't match with my romantic desire and my behavior was not solving that. And um, I found myself attracted to girls who were my high school friends, a couple of them, not yep. all of them. People have the common misconception if they deal with homosexuality right. that somehow you're attracted to every woman or every man. And yeah, that's I've not had to true. tell some guys, you know what, you're really safe. <laughs> like it's really <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah, yep. not the issue here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, but that's um, just the situation happened. But I'd read the Bible. And so I told my one girlfriend who made a pass back that I'm like, uh, actually, I think I'd like melt into a pile of salt if I did this. So I can't go there. So I went away to college and I still hadn't encountered God. I didn't necessarily believe that he existed. I just had read something that brought some degree of conviction to my heart and caused so me no, to take a different action. So no church background. Nominal Christianity. Got it. Not really yep. committed. Yep. Just appearance yeah. of commitment. Sure. Yeah. And so I hadn't encountered God. I didn't really know. He hadn't made himself known to me yet. I go away to college. I embrace homosexuality. I'm like, evolution makes more sense. I'm going to, my feelings are here. God hasn't shown up. I'm, you know, I'm right. going to go with the feelings. Yeah. So I went with the feelings, but I began having dreams about Jesus. It was like really inconvenient. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just saying. Yep. I was away at college being crazy. And having dreams about Jesus. And I was like, I'd tell my friends who were mostly Jewish because my roommate was Jewish. I'd say, what do I do about this? And they're like, we don't believe in Jesus. <laughs> why, and, why, are uh, why are you asking us? <laughs> <laughs> but they were my friends. So it was just a funny, comedic, looking back, it's hysterical. And then I got involved. Uh, I was asking all these questions and I was beginning to hunt for truth now. In the middle of my emotions leading me this way, culture leading me the same direction, and friends totally fine with me going towards homosexuality, and me now being okay with it, and yet I was asking questions about what is truth? Who is God? Who does Jesus say he is? I mean, those things don't really lead to feeling comfortable about homosexuality. <laughs> so none of my friends could answer the questions. They were of all different denominational backgrounds. So I ended up at this, this campus group called Campus Ambassadors. It's a Baptist group. And they were having a, a classes called evangelism training. Short for ET. You know, the movie yep. <laughs> that was out then. Yep. 
So I, as a non-believer lesbian, was attending evangelism training classes. <laughs> You're right. This does get better. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what in the world? Yeah. It's just humor left yes. and right, right? Anyway, the end of those meetings, they were answering questions I was asking. It was great. And they weren't telling me all the answers. They were provoking questions that brought us to solid answers. And um, the final meeting, he's like, you know, I think we just need to put a pause on all this and just pray. And so everybody's praying. I'm like, uh, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I bowed my head and I was holding my hands like my mama taught me when right. I was a little bitty girl. Right. And um, God showed me that he was in the room. He was in the room. And his character was, and he showed me two distinct things about himself. He was full of authority, but he was full of kindness. And I thought, oh my gosh, full of power and yet full of mercy. Right. And that blew me away. And so that began, uh, I want to have this person in my life where I knew I was in the gap. There was no presence of God in my little place where I was sitting or the body I'm living in. And uh, he was weaving in and out of the saints, prayers of the saints. And I was like, I don't know what's going on here. I know God's in the room. He's real. And he's this. And he's not me. So that night I did pray to receive Jesus later on in my room. The pastor shared with me how to do that. And hey, I'm a lesbian. So what do I do about that? And he's like, well, God, the Bible calls that sin. And so you have to be ready to relinquish that in order to embrace God and forgiveness. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to do that. But it was a couple of hours later and I was. And then everything changed from there. I was filled with joy. In about six months, I had no homosexual desire. Six months. Wow. It wasn't the rest of my life. Yep. I'm now 40 years older. Yep. And, um, but nothing else could fill that because the joy squished out every other thing. Yeah. And feeling loved and forgiven and washed clean was magnificent. Yeah. But after six months, I began to desire a best friend, which led me to, and other girls began to try and draw me back in the life and things like that. And so I had to encounter a temptation. And when I did that, I had to learn what to do with it. Um, am I going to just go with it or am I now, you know, going to have some different choices? This one gal who was a Christian who dealt with same-sex attraction and I had been very drawn to, uh, especially the Jesus in her. I'd been sexually drawn to her too, though. I wanted a romantic relationship with her. And now I'm born again and now she's pursuing me. I'm like, okay, that's that's a tough one. Uh, but I remember being on the beach and she was, you know, pulling out all the stops and um, something could happen. But I remember going, well, I, I can't do this to my father. He just cleansed me from all this stuff. I feel like I would be breaking God's heart. And so I told her that out loud and said, I can't go there with you because this is who I am now. Now, that was not the end of temptation, but we picked up the blankets and that was done. That So it was like, no, I, I really am different. You won a victory, a huge victory huge. in that moment. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it was like the biggest challenge of my life. Sure. Right then. Over time, I did want a best friend, not just a bunch of friends. Right. I wanted a best friend. Right. Yes. And for those of us coming out of homosexuality, especially lesbianism, that can lead to sexually acting out. For me, the first best friend didn't, the second did. And it was then that I realized, you know what? I need a lot more help than simply Bible study, praying and talking to people about this. I need more. There's something else in my soul that's driving me this direction that I don't understand. And so I found help with a counselor and I found help with the local ministry. Um, Frank and Anita Worthen brought mm -hmm. me into their ministry. Yes. And I they 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 saw the potential of leadership in me and said, Hey, we'd like you to lead things. I said, Absolutely not. I'm here. I have to grow. 
I don't know what in the world's leading me to feel these feelings or how, if it's even possible to leave them behind, I just need to experience growth. So in that next year, and this was like five years into my walking with Jesus, that I had the stumble and then the now real opportunity to grow. And at that point, uh, that place of humility and uh, yeah, I was dealing with shame. I was dealing with humiliation, but I was in a place of I'm ready to learn. So that was really important. Like, show me what I'm missing and help me walk in this. And um, a bunch of things began to change in my character. One was God called me out and said, forgive the guy who violated you when you were young. Wow. And I said, in my mind, are you joking? That's unjust. Uh, unless you forgive from your heart, neither will I forgive you. It was five years down the road when I was given that challenge by God. And my answer was, I can't change my heart. You're going to have to do it. And he took me up on that challenge. Two weeks later, I was talking to this person on the phone. And my heart jumped with joy. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you did it. <laughs> you did it. You gave me the ability to forgive. Him. Yes. Wow. It's way beyond me. You did it. Yes. You knew I couldn't do it. I finally admitted I couldn't do it. But you gave him but the I invitation. Yeah. I gave him opportunity yep. and I said, you know, go for it. Yes. And he did it. So that was one huge thing because that was one of the underlying things that broke my sense of well-being as a girl. Yes. Okay. Sure. Uh, the next thing was essentially, um, and you belong with other women. Belong, meaning I fit alongside other gals, not sexually, but I just fit in that community. Yes. I'm another woman amongst other women. And that really was a big light bulb moment for me. <laughs> yeah, you'd think, oh, that's obvious. No, but those are important. The heart yes. thing? Huge. If I'm just like every other woman, what's intriguing about them? Not a whole lot. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, so true. Like, oh, we, we have way more in common than the fellow next to me has in common with me. Whereas they'd been my buddy group, men, and women had been the, the alternate, I don't really fit with you. But God established me amongst other women. And the women in my church made that possible too. They came alongside of me. They put their arm around me and they said, oh, Anne. People think we're sisters. And I'm like, well, we are spiritually sisters. Oh, they think we look alike. I am so blessed by that, says this beautiful stewardess. At the time, it was called that. Airline attendant. You know, they're gorgeous, right? And she was like a big sister to me. She wrapped her arms around me and said, I feel so privileged that they think I look like you. I'm like, you're joking. <laughs> That's sweet. Yeah. But they sewed into my life. Yes. And as a result, I felt better and better about myself also as a woman. So the pain was removed. The identity was now melding with other women. Oh, I belong amongst you. That's not appealing to sexualize something I belong amongst. Oh, men are really different. So all these internal changes were happening and it wasn't overnight. It was over years. Yes. I'm consolidating it so I can share sure. with you, right? That's right. But over time, I noticed that men were really different and, oh, I'd better hug them differently than I had in the past. Oh, no wonder why guys are now, <laughs> they've always wanted to date me. Oh, I get it. You know, <laughs> it took, you know, puberty age 24. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> That's what it felt <laughs> to like. To realize, right. Like, oh, there are these worlds. And, oh, men are all bad. Where I'd believe that because of the earlier molestation. I didn't even know I believed that until I was at an Exodus conference and I was walking late into an evening session. It was dark out and um, I had been stalled by somebody else. Anyway, I was walking in alone and behind me, I heard men, a man footsteps alone walking behind me and I'm like, 
it hit the panic button in me. Oh my gosh, am I? Is this person going to try and overtake me, overpower me, and rape me? Mm. That's immediately where my fears right. went. Right. And I'm like, calm down, step aside, let the guy pass, and then you'll have peace as you keep walking. It's unlikely he's going to try and rape you. And especially if he knows that you know, you know, you're not in as a vulnerable position. You can fight. Um, so I went ahead and pulled off to the side. It turned out it was a, a Christian man who was there and he recognized me. He was from a different ministry in the northern Pacific region. And he said, oh, and he knew my leader. Come on, come walk, walk. Let's walk together. We'll go into the session together. And I felt protected instead of potentially violated. And I'm like, oh, not every guy's out to get me. <laughs> right. Which Huge. is just a visceral subconscious reaction yes, yes. to what happened to you when you were a little girl, right? right? Yeah. So though I'd begun the forgiveness process, I still had the fear response. Sure. And then he, he led a group of men. So he said, come sit with us. I'm like, okay, but my group's over there. But all right, I'll sit with you. And I was surrounded by a bunch of ex-gay men, men who were leaving homosexuality, who felt like a strong tower around me. Their masculine voices were worshiping God. Their hearts were on him. And there was this lone woman in their midst. And I felt safe and protected. And the conclusion I arose that rose in my heart was not all men are unsafe. And so when I noticed that men were different and I fit with women, but oh my gosh, what does make them tick? All of these pieces started fitting into place and I became open to the potential of dating and marriage mm -hmm. over the long haul. Yeah. And I did end up getting married. Mm -hmm. Um, and have three sons yeah. that I got to raise past the ages where I'd been violated. Oh, that's and amazing. And my fear yep. kicked in there too. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to walk through layers and layers that were for my well-being and for my growth and for their best. And, and how old are your boys now? 26, 23, and 20. That's amazing. Yep. And they're doing well. Yes, it's so good. They know their mama loves them. Mm -hmm. And I didn't smush their masculinity um each one of them is doing something different the oldest is in he wants to be in a band he's got his band he has an indie band the middle guy's in construction and business management wow good for him yep he loves building things he mm -hmm. loves working with his hands yeah that's he's great. in there the youngest is an auto mechanic he mm -hmm. hates building he loves working on cars. That's awesome. He wanted to own a Lamborghini at three years old. Mm -hmm. That's great. <laughs> Here's your matchbox car. Exactly. Son. <laughs> yep. You can afford this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe a light bulb. <laughs> but yeah, they're each different and it's refined me as a woman, helping to rear them, love on them, encourage them, strengthen them, see their giftings and their nature and bless what is good and refine what it needs help. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, and you bring up some points that, um, that, or some, some things that kind of spark in me a little bit. I want to follow up with you on the, the idea, like you mentioned about, uh, going through puberty at 24. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, in a sense felt. emotionally, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and, and I so relate to that idea and also the reality that I needed to be reconciled to my own gender in a way that I felt safe with them in a way where, um, where there was a group of men, it was in my, I was 35 though, not 24. And, well, and praise where, God it yeah, happened. yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And the, this, this group of Christian men, like I'd had some good mentors prior to that, but the, these individual connections, and, it, and I think it kind of paid the way for me to actually be able to be in a group of men who didn't deal with the same thing, struggle with the same things I did, same sex attraction, that kind of thing, but to be able to receive from them to, uh, and I was nervous in the beginning, scared to death in the beginning. And yet over the course of, of time, they began to love me, care about me and, and really welcome me into this company of men. And I look back on that, similar to what you mentioned at 24. And I think, I mean, God is so good to give us those opportunities. And what I, what I become a, 
pretty firm believer in is that these normal stages of development that God intends to happen in our youth, in our, uh, in our developmental time during, uh, in our growing up years, I, I think many times because of trauma, because of, um, uh, various events, we can kind of get robbed of those, um, normal courses of opportunities, uh, at, as young people, yes. but, but, I, I do believe that we need those opportunities to really enter fully into a a more whole sense of our adulthood. Yes, and and so God, whether it's twenty or it's in our thirties, and sometimes I think even Later older, even. Yeah. He will bring those opportunities around again for us to experience, to be able to um, to become whole enough. I don't think we just get by them. It's like, well, you missed the opportunity and and somehow God's just going to drop it on, you know, the, all the good things that you need. I think experientially he provides something um, that can fill in those gaps again. What are your thoughts about that? I love your comments. I totally agree. And God's heart is for us. Yes. He wants us to thrive and he wants us to grow into the man or woman that he intended all along. And so he's always after restoration and redemption. I, so I love what you said. I think it's necessary, but I think also the heart condition when the opportunity arises matters a lot. Like yes. I was in a place of saying, well, I failed on my own. I've tried all the, you know, ordinary steps. Okay. Teach me, Lord. I, my heart is open and um, I understand that I don't have it all. Um, and so this kind of posture of humility, posture of being a learner in his Heart and learning from others. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of things that we've learned that we love to share with others. Um, probably the main reason why you're doing the podcast. Right, exactly, it is. You know? And so, some people will hear that and go, well, that's fine for you. But I'm not going to put myself in that position. It's too risky. How would you, as host, answer that for men? The idea of something of, being too risky of, to... Of risk. Yeah. Risk to allow others into that place of influence. Yeah. Well, and and honestly, you know, the the phrase that I think it's Dr. Phil that kind of coined the phrase, how's that working for you? Uh, you know, and, and and not to be in any way snarky, and I, I don't think he's intending to be snarky, but, but he's bringing the reality down to, okay, you're unwilling to go here. But ultimately, over time, how is that actually working? Like, yes. And I be I had to wrestle with that. I mean, I there were so many times. Like, I love what you just said about being willing for God to um, to bring that intervention right. because there were so many opportunities where I could kind of get off my merry-go-round of this miserable cycle cycles of addiction cycles cycles of emotional that has a temporary uh, brokenness. high, yeah, and then more brokenness yes. to come after that. And that opportunity mm -hmm. would come about, and I would I would not get all I would not choose his path, and so I was kind of stuck in that place again. But he would bring about another opportunity. And finally, it was at a point where I could see it more clearly and also where my heart was more tender toward him. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to exit and I'm going to take God's path here. And so part of it was beginning to recognize that um, it doesn't make sense you know, the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over again and yes. expecting a different result. And I That's was right. living that out in spades. And so it was really coming to a place of, look, I'm exhausted and and I've been doing this all on my own and, and, and trying to work this out. I haven't really trusted God. Maybe God's different than what I've concluded he is. Right. And, and so it was really those... The, it began really with a question uh, of of maybe he is different. Maybe maybe the the perceptions I have about men, about women, about life in general, about people, about God, about myself. Maybe those things are off. And of course, it sounds so dumb to see sort of verbalize that now because obviously they were way off. But in my in my life, I'm living so close to this situation, sure. I couldn't see it. Right. So I, I that so for men or women wrestling because so much of what you've described is like for me i needed to be around other men not just um not just around girlfriends that i felt more comfortable with right and uh, so i think that we do get to a point in god's mercy where he allows us to feel pretty miserable apart from him. He allows us to go down this downward spiral but always extending this invitation um always i i said to someone yesterday in one of the in the podcast but i'm going to repeat it again i feel like god um, for years had, had been like a fisherman in my life where I had bit the hook, but God wasn't just like yanking me into the shore because, you know, when I, when I fished before, there's times that the fish has gotten off the line well, because I've, the I've line. pulled to, yeah, yeah, because I've told, so he just let me swim and, and exhaust myself 
for a number of years, honestly, until I finally came to a point of saying, okay, I'm ready. And, and honestly, I was angry throughout that whole time with God. But when I came to the end of myself, I was so grateful for the way that he hadn't rejected me. Ultimately, he had been uh, with me through all of this, not celebrating, not approving anything I was doing, not the stuff that I was doing, but yet waiting and abiding the right time for my heart to be soft, for, to be able to turn to him. So right. I think that 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 piece of surrender is so critical. I think it is. And I think it's important to note for everybody else is, although Gary's married and I was married for mm -hmm. 21 years yep. and I have three sons, my life as a single person was honoring to him as well. Yes. Um, by the time I was noticing men were different and my heart was engaging there, it could have been like many of my friends. Um, great. We've gone as far as we can and I'm, you know, content to honor God in my singleness. Yeah. Um, and, and I admire a number of friends who've had that. I have the privilege of potentially having grandchildren at some point. Right that some other people are missing out on, but they could have additional relationships in their life that add in family members where adoptive family members, spiritual family members, where um, those are opportunities. So life is not all barren apart from marriage either. And there are challenges in marriage that can either refine us or break us. And several came near to both. Yep. No, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I've often said uh, when it comes to that point, I want you to, to pick up on this, but I've often said when, when I was a pastor doing premarital counseling right. uh, and, or even talking with people that were considering that or longing for marriage. And sure. that's a good thing to long it's for. It's a good longing, but God put it in our hearts. I would, I tell people all the time, it's so much better to be single wishing you were married than married wishing you were single. I know. Wow. And so that's a good point. You know, I, that doesn't solve it that and for everybody. I'm not saying that, but man, I know some people people that are in their marriages that got into marriage probably for a lot of the wrong reasons. Right. And, and they're pretty darn miserable. And, and there's, yeah, I just That's think that well there's said. so much more freedom to, to be in that space of desiring something and waiting for God to bring it. If, if it's, if he desires it for us, but in the meantime, just as you said, that meaningful service, that, that, that joyful involvement in genuine kingdom purpose and, and really be, you know, I became a spiritual father before I was ever married, which is shock. I mean, it is amazing. So Isn't that awesome? Of yes, God? it is. Yeah. yeah I love it's that. Beautiful. But what were you, you were saying something else, I think about marriage when I kind of interjected, um, I threw you off there entirely. Probably. I'm sure you, I was saying something else, but yeah. it's gone. No, that's all right. It's uh, fine. Yeah. I'm sure it wasn't that important. No, if, uh, if it comes back around, you can mention it. Yeah, um, but no, the other thing I wanted to, uh, so you and I actually, again, served, we were kind of laughing about this in the beginning, but got to serve on the board together and restored hope network really came out of, um, was established before Exodus international closed down Klaus, maybe two or yeah. three years before. And, um, but Almost I'm, exactly I'm, one year. Oh, was before. it one year? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm so grateful as one who is a part of Exodus international. And one of the things I talk with, uh, churches about and many people about who have heard about Exodus, but have never really experienced them. But often many people have negative um, associations with Exodus because of things that they've heard, not things that they've experienced right. usually. And so I can go back and say, look, I was there for 10 years at these you know, summer conferences and I was the Northeast regional coordinator and my wife was on the board. You've been on the board. I've been on Exodus the board of Exodus. was a yeah. lifeline for so many it of was. us. Can it you share a little bit about that? It also means it wasn't perfect. No. But that, that doesn't mean the general direction and general help was amazing. Right. I mean, I, I, yeah. So going to the conferences, my first one was in 1989. Mm -hmm. Bob Davies was the president yes. of it. Bob was a tender hearted man with a great conference team and, um, it was a lifeline. Amazing things happened in my life as a result. And all the work in between the conferences that I was engaged in, the, yeah. the ministry, being part of the other ministry and doing discipleship throughout the year. I, I recognized when I came to the conference that I was different the following year because of all the hard work yeah. that, that we'd done prior. But the opportunity to hear great topics to hear another angle that you might not hear at your home church, um, affiliate with people who actually were moving ahead. I remember one gal, um, she was the board secretary on, on the board of Exodus. And I was so in awe of the fact that she was 
really she was from the gay background are you joking she used to be what you know and um young children and married to her husband and they love each other so much and just ordinary people that you'd never guess came from that right and so i saw more and more of that and i thought oh maybe the possibilities are there of future for me in different ways than i'd expect made fast friends there as well and it was always like old home week. Yes, it, I, I, I agree. Yes. Oh, the, the worship is just, has always been some of the best I've ever been in at the Exodus conferences. Yeah, people crying out to the Lord. Yes, and everybody hungry for him. The worship leaders never had to say, okay, everybody raise your hands or right. anything. Right. No They're way. just going to go all <laughs> yes. in for Jesus, yep. you know, in worship. So it was always a delight for worship leaders to come and lead us because they, they found hungry hearts. Yep. waiting and knowing redemption and the cost that he'd paid was so beautiful yep. and amazing. So the other thing though, that I found was, you know, there were, there were people that were going for other reasons. Sure. Um, and some of those folks would try and pick up on people or sometimes some of the conference, you know, but some of the content wasn't perfect. Sure. Right. Um, but you know what? It was really good. If I could characterize it as where on that spectrum, I'd say like an eight. I would think it was it was very good. Um, so, yeah, I don't have regret about being involved in Exodus. It was a lifeline to not just me, not just you, but a yeah. whole thousands of others. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and they were shocked when they closed with an apology. The people who had been helped by Exodus. Right. In fact, they were thrown so much that they were doubting their own walk with jesus after living for him for 20 years yes yeah it was a devastating moment for mm -hmm. many of us yep well and i'm so shut. grateful that that you and andrew kamiski and david cal foster stephen black i mean others rose up to to recognize look we have to first of all we have to leave sadly exodus and and i went through that process as well after writing to the board and and talking with um the executive director but you guys, um, I came into it uh, um, after the the team had been formed. I think I was there maybe a year after um, RHN started, uh, and just as a participant, as a member. But um, you know, I'm so grateful that there was the vision there. And of course, Frank Worthen was, was of course involved too, right? He was. He helped found Exodus. Yeah. Now he helped found Restored Hope. So good, yeah. yeah. And Andrew, and we talked to many others, right? So yeah. There's yep. about 300 years worth of experience in ministry of all the signers at the bottom of the letter that sent it into the Exodus office and yes. executive director and board about if you'd fix these things, we could stay with you. And if not, we can't stay with you. And they disregarded all of that. That's pretty serious. Yeah, no, it is for sure. Mm. But the fact that now how but many here members we are. here we are and here we are restored hope network has about about how many members about now 52 54 okay yeah a lot more counselors are affiliating with us now they see the challenges in culture but they're willing to say nope this is where we we believe god can change lives we're going to come alongside of restored hope so we've had about 10 affiliations recently that we're in the process with um half of those are counselors uh, all throughout the U.S. and some places where it's illegal to help minors, for example. Yeah. And here are counselors who are putting their, they're in the middle of their practices. They're not retired. They're putting their um, livelihood on the line and saying, I will help. Um, currently, we advise people who are in places where it's illegal to either challenge the law as um, join with ADF mm -hmm. and say, is this legal for you to infringe upon our Elias rights as a freedom. counselor? Yep. Um, so those kind of lawsuits have been happening. Also, you can treat anxiety, depression in somebody who's dealing with LGBT without saying, hey, I'm helping you leave LGBT topics. I'm just going to help you deal with any crisis or trauma that's underneath. I'm going to help you in relationship skills and help you deal with anxiety or depression. And if perchance there's a root underneath that that has to do with trauma that also leads to dis discomfort with your gender or um, sexualizing the gender. And we just happen to touch on that. Hey, I wasn't going for that, but hey, I'm going to help you in the areas where I can. 
So we have a number of counselors who have uh, joined us from states where that's the tack they have to take. Um, and you have a number of ministries around the country, for example, it, Love and Truth Network and Transforming yes, Congregations. Our ministries are members of yes, Restored Hope Network as well. Which also has a religious element of protections as far as legally, um, but also the breadth of understanding and experience and pastoral care and speaking. And Gary, you bring a lot to the table from your position of of having experienced a lot having a counselor as a wife, yes. having, uh, seriously, you've got a lot that you bring to the table with love and truth. Networking is a huge gift of yours. Teaching congregations how to address sexual integrity issues, huge. Those are big. So I'm so grateful for you. Well, thank you, Anne. Well, I do appreciate go. that. Yeah, yeah, I do very much. Um, what would you want to say to anyone, um, you know, listening, watching this podcast who themselves are struggling? Like you mentioned earlier, uh, the perspective, and, and I hear this a lot. Well, that's fine for you. Or, or the, maybe the more common phrase we hear a lot is, well, that's your truth. You know, and I have my truth, which of course I believe there's one truth, you know, there's God's truth basically. But what would you say to someone who may be in that place watching or listening who feels like, wow, well, I'm glad that worked for you. I wish that could work for me. I have serious doubts though. Well, I think having a questioning heart, yeah, having an open heart of like, well, okay, that worked for you. That may not, my experience may not be that other person's experience. Exactly. They may not get married and divorced, mind you, because the ex went back in the gay lifestyle, right? I, from a gay background, did not. A whole lot of men do not also. So what I would say is, it's really important to go, okay, well, Lord, what, what is it you have for me? If you're a Christian, why don't you involve God in the process and ask him essential questions like, who am I really? Um, Jesus, I want to hear from you, who you say I am. I want to know who you say you are. I want to relate in the way you say is the right way to relate to people. Um, and and just opening up the conversation with God and with others who can encourage. I think one essential thing that holds people back from future possibilities for them, a, walking faithfully as a, a single person who's not gay identified because they're not having struggles with that moment by moment, day by day, like I used to have, um, is do you identify yourself as a gay person or a person who deals with same-sex attraction or homosexual desire or gay desire. That is an essential difference that will either lock you into the persona. Yes, by embracing an identity. Cementing yep. by embracing yep. that as who you are. Yes, or, as opposed to something I struggle with. Yes, yeah. as opposed to something that's part of your life that you're, it's not your totality, it's not your most important feature it's not the thing that you identify by but that you have in your life like any other scenario to bring that before yes. god a man scripture becomes super applicable when you no longer call yourself a gay man or a gay woman lesbian woman um and so identity is a huge piece to the puzzle but there are four basic pieces feelings of course having the struggle desire to meld with somebody of your same sex um, and the longing romantically to do that. Um, behavior is another big one. Another big one is identity that we just talked about. And then ideology. Our culture is sending messages en masse that may or may not be true. And anything that's true will stand tests and shouldn't be worried about being challenged. Right. 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 Or God's canceled. Not, God's not fragile. You can ask him anything. You can, hey, I disagree on this, but show me. He's good with that. But I'll tell you what, LGBT ideology is not good with. It's fragile, which points to the fact it can't be challenged. It's almost breakable. It's almost like super fragile glass that if you have any challenge to it, you're canceled. You are canceled. Mm -hmm. You are have you have this reflexive emotional response against anybody who asks any questions about it. And so test God versus your ideology and see what's more fragile. 
And, um, you know, I'd say lean into what stands the test of time. What's stable? What's secure? What, um, what does he have to say about it? What does he think about you? And I know already the answer to that is he loves mm-hmm. the person who struggles. Yes. I know that. Yep. Absolutely. Shadow of a doubt. No shadow of a doubt. But somebody who's listening to this, um, and I love everything you said about that in response to my question. Another thing that occurred to me, though, as you're talking, is that um, all of those things are true. But I think also one of the things that locked me into um, some uh, that, that locked me into a place of where I wasn't as open is is that I made a lot of assumptions about God. And I had really solidified some ideas about how, like when you're saying God loves you, there would have what been a time in my mean? life, like, well, what does love mean? Did but he? also I would be even irritated to hear someone say, God loved me. Like, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, I don't, I, I don't think he does. What do you, what do you mean? He might love you and he might love these other people, but I don't feel like he loves oh, me. Oh yeah. He wants to wrap his arms around absolutely, you. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the assumption, <laughs> you know, can be based, hug. right. But based on, <laughs> on our experiences and how we've interpreted those experiences, oftentimes we feel like God is against us. I know I did it I one know. time. And, and so for the person watching or hearing this, just to, just to have that directly addressed, our assumptions about God, our perceptions about him can really solidify us. And I loved what you said about that idea of asking questions and honestly being curious. Have, be, be willing to be more curious than just locking God into this box of mine, this box of yours that that would define him a certain way. Be curious enough and willing enough to him for him to really show you who he is. That's I right. think is very important along with our own sense of uh, personal identity. One of the last things I wanted to mention, you were sharing about that story that happened in Exodus about that guy walking behind you and and how that all, it reminded me of a time one of the many times that I was at the Exodus conference and I, um, I had some friends there through regeneration, uh, ministries out of Baltimore and it had a couple of leaders that were friends there. And I worked at the bookstore quite a bit when they would set up uh, bookstores for the, you know, for that week or that five days or what have you. And, and I was out walking in the evening, uh, with, with a buddy, a friend, a guy, friend of mine and these two women and, and there was, um, and we're walking on the sidewalk and there was a guy coming toward us that just looked kind of not, shady, not, a little, yeah, bit a little sketchy, a little shady, mm-hmm. a little concerning. And, and I had happened to be walking, um, uh, to one side of the woman, um, one of these, these women friends. And I just, and this was an older woman and I just reached up and I just kind of took her elbow and moved her across in front of me. So I was then um, in a place where I was on the other side of her and I would be closest to this guy. Nice. And it wasn't something I even thought about. I, I mean, I, I was, I, there you was a, protective. I wasn't that conscious that of what I was doing. I, I saw Kim and I just re- reacted reflexively to that and, and never thought another thing about it. And then when, um, after the conference was over, I was heading home and driving and, and I got a, a, a call on my cell phone and I didn't recognize the number, but I, I answered it. And it was her husband who had not been at the conference, but she had told him about what I did in that situation. And he called me to say, Gary, you don't know who I am yet, but I'm Natalie's husband. And um, I just want you to know that Natalie just told me about that experience. And I want you to know how much I appreciate the fact that you were protective of my wife, you know? And, and that's and, true masculinity. Yes. And according it, to God. But yes. But yes. how wonderful. This is just an example of how a man who didn't wrestle with the things I wrestled with, with same-sex attraction, those kinds of things, in a very fatherly way, but he didn't have to call me. He didn't have to say anything at all. But I remember that. And it was so uplifting to hear another man thank me for for being, for stepping into this masculine place of covering and protection. And I don't know, it's just, it's those, I'm just simply saying it, that there's so many ways when, like when Hebrews says, encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that your hearts are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I think we could do a lot better job within the church, within um, female friendships, but certainly within male friendships of not just... We love sarcasm. You know, we love to, to like there's a way that, silly. yeah, silly. Yeah. Yeah, and there's yeah. a level of sarcasm that's, that's fun. That's not mocking. That's not ripping at the other person. But I think that so many times um, we would benefit so much more if we could genuinely express 
value and appreciation for the person, you know, for one another. And anyway, that, that built me up, that encouraged me in such a deep way. And, and those were just, that's just one little tiny experience that happened in, in many different ways throughout that week and throughout the course of years of time through those Exodus conferences. And I, I look at my time at Exodus as being um, a season of my life where, where God helped me break patterns of sin and addiction. And I'm so grateful for that. But it was um, a number of years later, even after coming on staff at a church that knew my story and I you know, shared all of that, I got involved then in, um, in Living Waters Desert Stream. Great. And I feel like yes. that involvement with Andrew Kamiski and Desert Stream and Living Waters, level, it, it was a whole other level. Yeah. And it took me from simply not acting out to to understanding that there was this whole open world that God had for me to be involved in eternal value. Like I get to sow into the kingdom. I get to be a spiritual father. You get to be a spiritual mom. We get to be older brothers, older sister, whatever to, to others that are wrestling and struggling or just living life. And our, our um, gift, our walking alongside of actually has the potential for such massive eternal value in people's lives. And, and, and just to bring it full circle, like with this kid that abused you when you were three years old and, and, and it also abused so many others. I mean, the ripple effect of his sin, the ripple effect of his brokenness, and then the ripple effect of how he hadn't even been stopped. You know, um, we either have the ability to pour into people's lives in a kingdom way, in an eternal way that lifts up and empowers and strengthens for eternal value and purpose, or we're involved, I think, in this decay, either either trauma in people's lives or, or this other. worthless decay, right? <laughs> we kind of lift the cradle to the grave, not really accomplishing much of anything. And I want to be about kingdom purposes, and I know right. you do too. I sure do. I yeah. sure do. And so it's such a privilege to serve in this ministry. It's such a privilege to you know, share what I've been given. Yes. And I know, I'm sure that's the same it's for very you. Very much so. It's, it's a privilege to have a front row seat to seeing what God's up to and um, how he uses his people who trust him uh, with the things that they've been given in their own lives and so into other people. And honestly, it's addictive in, a, in the best sense. In the best way, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks, Anne, for Better sharing with us. Better than chocolate, may I say. <laughs> Better than chocolate. All right. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing with us. Thanks okay. for taking the time out of your schedule. So, hey, for everybody watching, listening to this podcast, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you in a future episode of the Love and Truth Network podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And we look forward to seeing you in a future episode.